Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sumeria's Harem podcast. I am Sumeria Beringil, and this is my podcast where we talk about taboos, taboos around sex, relationships, love, and other areas as well, actually. I love exploring all taboos. Now, my guest today is Mel Harris of The Alchemy of Living. And Mel is back as a guest the second time on my podcast. Now, what Mel does is she's a teacher of Tantra and a holistic healer. And, you know, when I when I think about Tantra now, and when I think about a lot of this stuff, um, I, I feel like the taboo is lifting from all of this. But I want to remind everyone that this space is really about consistently moving through this stuff. So there will never be enough conversation around all of this. So on that note, welcome back, Mel, as we continue the conversation around Tantra. How are you doing today, Mel? Great. Thank you, Samaria. Thank you for having me on your podcast yet again. And I look forward to uh, what comes up in this one. (laughs) I know, I know. It's always so exciting. So you're over in Edinburgh at the moment, but you do teachings all over the world. Indeed, yes. Just back from a three-month trip in Thailand, in actual fact. So you're part of the world. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That must have been a lot of beach involved there. Amazing, amazing. (laughs) Lots of beach and sunset. (laughs) The healing journey for you with Tantra started off with Buddhism, am I right? Uh, Yes, Buddhism and um, various other energetic healings like Reiki and uh, spiritual healing and mediumship. But yes, Buddhism especially. Okay, so how did the Buddhist pathway or any of these pathways help you with with Tantra? Did they help? Um, I think everything is always a stepping stone towards the right pathway for you, if that makes sense. So everything, when you look backwards, always over time, everything makes sense in the journey that you're taking, whereas sometimes you think you're bouncing from one thing to another and not sure. But when I look back, it absolutely does, yes, because um, as a child, I was able to perceive... um, uh, and see things that other people didn't, um, and I could hear the dead, you know, and speak with the dead, and I could see um, mm. spirits, and I could see energies around people and animals. Um, but I grew up in a family that didn't uh, recognize any of that, so I was told I had a healthy, overactive imagination, <laughs> as you do. Um, but, of course, if you uh, if you understand anything about the law of energy, then by the law of resonance, I was going to be attracted back into that environment. Um, so I, I did do science at university. So I'm, I come from a very pragmatic background of being a biologist. Um, but, yeah, I, I kind of got pulled back in and um, uh, just really exploring those big questions. And that kind of took me into reading a lot of the modern day spiritualists like Neil Donald Walsh and Eckhart Tolle and all these people. And um, then eventually, you know, practicing in in circles, um, it, it came forward that I had, you know, healing hands and laying on of hands healing ability. And then that led me into yeah. Reiki. Um, so, yeah, and then, and then um, you know, sort of practicing clairvoyancy because I had all these visions that started coming back in again uh, later on as I was on my journey. And then Buddhism really happened because I was—I uh, had my own um, consultancy for about 15, 20 years um, in leadership. And I taught leadership all around the world for government, for small companies, for large companies. Um, and so it was all very much from the aspect of behavior. And um, I was drawn into mindfulness 
Um, and we have one of the first uh, Buddhist temples outside of Tibet here in Scotland. So it was one of the very first ones to be created as a community here, the Sami Ling Center. Yeah. And I started going there and I just found um, Buddhism very beautiful. I'd always been attracted to it, but I hadn't uh, gone into it. Um, and we had a very beautiful lama who was a, had been a bit of a, bit of a, a, how do you say, a kind of an entrepreneur in Buddhism, I guess. That's why it was the first uh, temple outside. And he was bringing Tibetan medicine, Tibetan psychotherapy, as well as the, as the, the Buddhist teachings to, um, to Scotland and to Europe. And yeah, I just, I just found it incredibly beautiful because I think what was so powerful for me, I was going through a really difficult period in my life at the time. I'd gone in, into a business that wasn't working very well and I had to put it down and lots of challenging um, uh, processes I was going through at the time. And when I arrived to do my first retreat there, you were offered the opportunity to take refuge um, as a Buddhist and Buddhism is not a philosophy, nor is it a religion. It's um, it's a, a scientific or metaphysical teaching, very much like Tantra. And Buddhism has its own tantric pathway. And I didn't realize that that particular branch of Buddhism was the tantric branch. Um, but when you take refuge, what they uh, what they do is they're basically saying to you that um, if you agree to be a Buddhist, that you can go anywhere in the world where there is a temple or a Buddhist community, and they will take you in. Yeah. So you just have to commit to being a Buddhist. And what the commitment to Buddhism basically is, is very simple. It's about not harming any person or any animal. So it means going vegetarian, you know, and not harming yourself. So the three non-violence to yourself, to others and to creatures. Um, and that's really the, once you've made that commitment, you are a Buddhist, you know, so that's, uh, and, uh, and once you've made that commitment, yeah, yeah, very, and uh, I'm, I'm, simple, I'm putting it in very simple terms, but that's the that's kind of the way forward. And then once you've taken refuge and agreed to that, you you have an empowerment from the Lama of the lineage you're in, and then that really means that you can go to any of their communities and have a roof over your head, food on your table, and contribute to the community by working in some way. And I thought that was incredibly powerful because. You know, here in this country, if you if, if something bad happens to you, and I guess in many other countries around the world, <clears throat> there's maybe the opportunity to get government support, but it's very, very little. But if you lose the roof over your head, if you lose your job, whatever, you can be out on the streets very quickly. And once you're out on the streets, you've kind of lost everything, your self-confidence, your self-belief, your ability to earn money and address that you need to have to to have a bank account, all these things, and you can suddenly go downhill very, very quickly. And that's quite terrifying. And that can bring on depression to people when they're going through difficult times, increase the fear, and therefore be more likely to, you know, actually go down the downward spiral. Whereas if you actually know that you have a refuge that you can go to, no matter what, you will have a roof over your head and food in your belly and somewhere that you can take time to heal, recover, get back on your feet again, that takes away all those really horrendous fears and negative vibrations, negative thoughts. So you're less likely to fall down that pit, you know, because you actually know that you've got that support behind you. And I found that incredibly mm. powerful and very beautiful. Beautiful. Yes, yes, I agree. Mm. I see. So, so how did it help me on the pathway? It brought me into understanding and having my first taste of metaphysical science and realizing that these ancient teachings, whether they be the yogic teachings or the Buddhist teachings, and actually 
uh, Buddha was a yogi anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. Buddha was a yogi anyway. So Buddhism is a form of yoga, if you like. It's just his version of it to reach enlightenment. Um, and I guess, you know, I just found that um, in Buddhism, what's incredibly beautiful is we're so noisy. Um, in modern day life, our heads are so noisy, our lives that we live are so busy. And I think most people are really quite stressed out in life. I don't think that many people are truly at ease in life. And, you know, Buddhism with the practices that it teaches is about how to bring you back into the present moment, how to bring you back into being. Um, and it's very first practices that the beginners learn over the first couple of years is very much about that helping you to come back into being present coming back into your own body understanding that there is space in you <clears throat> um, and silence in you and calmness in you and peace in you and that's incredibly powerful in modern day times and um, mindfulness was just their way of stripping out saying that it was spiritual because people were a bit anti all of that you know for the modern person it's a bit different now in the last 15 years yeah changed a lot yeah. but going back then uh, people were still very wary in business and that kind of thing of you know mentioning anything spiritual like that um, unless it was Church of Scotland or something I mean I'm here in Scotland so otherwise <laughs> <laughs> it'd be a bit woo-woo even if they're inviting the Dalai Lama for talks it's, it was still you know something that was out there so mindfulness was a way of, um, you know, kind of bringing um, those teachings to people without having to have the spiritual label on it. But of course, the minute you start practicing anything like that, you start, you know, connecting with your soul self, your authentic self, and you start to feel um, that that link to the the greatness that you are part of something greater. I see. So, yeah. So that that kind of that's what brought me onto the journey there, and um, and and really started to change things for me, change my consciousness and my perspective. Beautiful, beautiful. I mean, this is this is what I I, I see with with everyone that I've been I've, I've spoken to so far, including myself. It's it's an opening. Everything that you learn in this space will lead you to the next and to the next and to the next. And the key is to let it digest and but never stop because you will discover something missing in your life if you if you you stop and it's not then become your path. Like you, you are living and breathing all of this now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. um I was also very curious about the role of a guru in the Tantra journey. Mm, yes. Well, I think there's, uh, it's very interesting because I think there's mixed views on, on that in some ways. In, in modern day society, we'll say you don't need a guru. And in Tantra itself, I guess there's a journey of, you know, you are the, you are your own laboratory, you are experimenting with many different technologies. Tantra basically means technology or a web, web of technologies. And it really is about the interconnectedness of everything in the universe and that everything is made up of energy or void consciousness, but otherwise everything material, everything that we can see, everything that's manifest is made of energy. And it understands this uh, this uh, duality between you know the the non manifest and the manifest, and therefore all the laws of energy. So it's really a metaphysical science of how you can bring yourself from your limited human consciousness back into your soul consciousness or the universal consciousness. And as you go on that journey, one is obviously the journey of enlightenment, which not everyone wants to choose in this lifetime. 
Um, but the other part of it is actually just personal growth, personal development and connecting back into one's understanding and knowingness of oneself and the universe around ourselves. So in modern times, um, Tantra is really, really relevant uh, because it really does help with very powerful personal growth. And because we are maybe not so um, advanced in our spiritual way of thinking as in the days of when Tantra and yoga were first developed, we're about probably in one of the least spiritual times ever, according to the yogis. <laughs> there may be more awareness coming towards spirituality, but according to the yogis, we're in the, the least spiritual time ever. And therefore, it's actually... I'll, yeah, I can explain a bit more on that. But um, but therefore, it's actually really important to have a guru because your guru would be the person that is guiding you um, forward. You don't have the same level of conscious awareness as they do. So if somebody is truly a guru, they have reached states of enlightenment. They've gone into the universal consciousness and they see the world from that perspective, which is very, very different. It's like a higher perspective. It's like we're living in 2D and they've got the bird's eye view, if you see what I mean, if that makes sense, yeah? So um, um, so a guru can see what you need to do, can guide you with what you need to practice, how you need to practice, what's right for you, what's not right for you. As I said, Tantra is like a series of, you know, vast, vast range of teachings. You can spend your whole lifetime learning of different technologies, and they can guide you to what you need to do for you to develop yourself to achieve your goals and aims, um, in that and um, and also you know a little bit like um, a, a guru will see most of us as children if you like so children have temper tantrums and think they know better sometimes you know like teenagers or whatever <clears throat> when actually you know the, the parents do know better but <laughs> but they're not being listened to yeah. it's a bit like that with the guru so the, the guru is there to guide you but also just to say hey wakey wakey you know if you're going in the wrong direction or your ego is getting the better of you and the whole journey of an, of enlightenment and self-evolution is overcoming our ego, not getting rid of it because ego serves a purpose, but mastering the ego so that you are in charge of your ego. Your ego is not in charge of you. And how we function in modern day times, how we're taught to live and be in the world and our culture, it actually encourages our ego to dominate us. You know, everything around us is geared to ego, you know, how we look, how others mm -hmm. perceive you know all these things all the things that actually cause us stress and um uh, take us out of balance of ourselves and um you know create all these things of thinking i'm not good enough i'm not worthy enough you know i'm not successful enough you know or not being happy because you think you've got to achieve these high states of success in the modern world which is not necessarily true you know what is success you know this is a beautiful question that many people have debated what is success you know i would turn around and say success is living a happy and fulfilling life for you however that may be and it's different for every person you know so um so yes yeah, so a guru is there to kind of guide you but again, in modern day times, who is truly a guru? That's another question, <laughs> you know. So, you know, identifying, well yeah, <laughs> identifying the person who is the right guru for you, you have to go through a journey. And 
And I would say when you're doing a spiritual journey, you want to go and learn with a number of different people who are truly enlightened. And I, I don't mean this horribly, but like the Marion Williamsons of this world or the Neil Dolan Walshes of this world, they're not necessarily enlightened beings. They haven't necessarily gone into these higher states of consciousness to the level of enlightenment or samadhi. They have maybe reached high levels of awareness in that. So they can they can give guidance. You would call them teachers rather than gurus. Um, but your gurus are people like, you know, Swami Shivananda, you know, uh, Milarepa, you know, these, uh, you know, the Dalai Lama, these are people that have, you know, gone into high states, the, 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 the great lamas of Buddhism, you know, these are the great Sufi masters, these are people that have gone into high states, they've experienced this higher state, and therefore they can guide you on your journey in the right way. Many people out there are just spiritual teachers, and they're being taught by their teachers, and then they're delivering material, and our ego gets in the way because what I see happening a lot of the times is that <clears throat> people ignore their spiritual teachers and start just teaching on their own or people go to a couple of workshops. They don't get qualified properly as a teacher of any form of spirituality and they just start teaching it. And um, and therefore they're misleading people and they also don't have the right support. You know, there is a, uh, I can say, there is a science to how energy works. There's a science to how we open up spirituality in, in a spiritual way. There are many different pathways there. Yes, absolutely. But they normally come with a recipe given by somebody who's reached these higher states of enlightenment. And if a person hasn't, how on earth can they give you that recipe unless they're part of a lineage? You know, and then they've been given the teachings to a certain level and they have been empowered by their teacher to teach things to a certain level. People can have a journey of awakening. There's a grace of God. Don't get me wrong. There's a, a grace that God can give you so, so he can give you an awareness or an awakening um, that you can therefore teach in a certain way because you've come to that. You know, you've come to that realization or a certain level of realization and you can teach people to that level. That we have to be careful because our human nature means that our ego tends to get in the way and we like to, <clears throat> it's our human nature to want to be seen as the guru in, in modern day times or the expert, you know, this is very much whatever field you're in. And really, if you're working with somebody, the more humble they are, the more likely they are to be a guru. The more, the more, um, the more they say that they're a guru, the more they say that they're a leader. Um, in spirituality, the less likely they are to be because it's actually about having humility and humbleness and understanding that you're just a vessel of the divine. Beautiful. I mean, this is why I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> great listening to this stuff. Thank you so much, Mel. Yeah. Yes. yes. And I want I want us to take um, a diversion to that part where you spoke about this being not the most spiritual time ever i'm that okay. is something we have to get into thank you no no absolutely one one last thing i'd like to say is um also when people are looking for sort of a guru in spirituality be aware that many good gurus have been slandered in tantra you know so there's many good gurus and uh, many of the male good gurus have been slandered in tantra there's also ones that have not been good <laughs> but there have been many that have been slandered so it's also a bit about this least spiritual era you can have people teaching who have got absolutely no spiritual background or empowerment <clears throat> and are going out there teaching willy-nilly purely from ego picking up things they've learned and they don't get any negative feedback and then these, um, and then people that have actually done a huge spiritual journey can be condemned, especially in tantra, because tantra is such a, 
modern the modern version of ta- of tantra I, I practice you know authentic traditional tantra which is a full yogic journey of the entire metaphysical science of tantra of which sexuality is only seven percent of the teachings <clears throat> it's still you know fundamental because we work with sexual energy but sex and relationships is only seven percent of, of the tantric teachings the rest of it is actually very powerful yogic practices that help you to develop yourself as an energetic being so there's a lot of uh, neo-tantra um, out there, which is not bad, but you have to recognize neo-tantra for what it is, which is not actually deeply spiritual. It's actually taking bits and pieces from shamanism, from t- from uh, authentic tantra, from psychology, <clears throat> like Osho. Osho was more of a psychotherapist that put bits of tantric practices in and focused much more on the sexuality. And, and that, there's nothing bad in that because we need to go through a journey of becoming more connected and opening much more in intimacy and relationships and understanding ourselves as energetic beings in our lovemaking and, and our intimacy with a partner. But neo-tantra tends to just focus on that rather than the actual spiritual teachings that enable you to evolve. Um, I had one person come in he was a psychotherapist and practiced from the Osho lineage. And he was like, Mel, I'm having a midlife crisis. And I said to him, so what's your yogic practice and what's your meditation? And he had no yogic practice. So he has no way to manage and uh, become a master of the energies of his emotions, of his mind in his body without yogic practice. And his version of meditation was to put on some lovely soft Reiki music and read a poem from Rumi. That's more of a contemplation. Meditation is about changing your level of consciousness rather than contemplating or um, uh, reflecting on something. So so the Neo-Tantra misses this. It's, it misses the, the important backbone of what traditional Tantra teaches you, which is how to be a master of energy. <clears throat> so just uh, just explaining that for, <laughs> for that bit. But back to back to the leading. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, coming back to why this time isn't the more spiritual time. Yeah, back to this. So according to the yogis, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, I was just recovering from a little bit of a cold, so I have a hoarse throat there. But according to the yogis, there are four large cycles <clears throat> um, like a wheel that we go through and we, ha- we haven't just been through them once and they last a few like thousand years each, maybe six, seven thousand years each. Um, some of them longer, some of them shorter. And but to put it in very simple terms, it's like having the golden age, you know, the silver age, the bronze age, and the iron age. Um, okay. And it cycles from the gold age down to the iron age and then back into the gold age. So it kind of fits into like modern, many modern uh, predictions of the fact that we're going to go through something very big and back into a golden age, you know. Um, and it fits that kind of prediction that's been coming out in the, in the, more um, uh, modern spiritual uh, philosophies and um, beliefs. But basically, the last part is called Kali Yuga. This Iron Age is called Kali Yuga. And um, what it basically means is that when, when people have spirituality at the back, maybe not even considering spirituality, and the majority of people are putting material wealth and material matter before spirituality, that is when we're in um, in, a, in a least spiritual time. And we actually need to be in balance. You know, we need to have that imbalance. Spiritual and matter need to be in balance. <clears throat> so in the golden age, people are very spiritual, but they are manifesting the material stuff from a very spiritual perspective and with a spiritual understanding and with the spiritual values. And slowly but surely over time, 
um, we decline in that. So there are great civilizations that had great technology beforehand, supported by um, a lot of archaeology, where they found hidden cities under the sea just off India, which they, they say might be Lemuria or might be Atlantis, and that sounds a bit airy-fairy. But they found ancient cities that go back beyond 10,000 years um, in the aging process and can't be, they've sunken down below the ground. So it's under the sea level. So it's like they, they have dated them and they know they go way, way back, but they are much more advanced civilizations. And they found, um, they found things there in those cities that say that these uh, um, civilizations were much more advanced. So it gives kudos to this belief um, that you know that there have been other civilizations before, much more advanced, not just like the Mayans and um, um, that would be seen to be more barbaric. You know, a great civilization, but more more barbaric. There are civilizations that are meant to be much more advanced. Whereas you come today, we think we're really advanced. Yeah, but I can tell you now, having learnt the teachings of Buddhism and Tantra that they were much more advanced in their understanding of how the world works, how energy works. They understood about quantum physics. They understood about time and space and dimensions, <clears throat> which we don't really understand now. We're just kind of getting a grip on it in modern science. And we need tools and uh, scientific technology to be able to understand that. They understood it through their mind, through the power of their mind. By developing their mind, they could see and have the insights for understanding these things and then bring them into being and to manifest them. Whereas we need an artificial limb. We need technology. Yeah. When you say mind, you're referring to consciousness, aren't you? These exercises that we're doing to be okay. so the more The more your consciousness evolves, the more you tap into the universal consciousness um, which is the knowingness of all things. So you start to know everything. This is what I was saying. Like if a great guru has reached enlightenment, um, you know, for a guru to, to be a guru, they have to have reached enlightenment. So therefore they're seeing the world in a very, very different way, you know. So, you know, when you're talking to somebody truly on spiritual laws, it, it doesn't, it's not very politically correct. For example, hmm. You could say, you know, why are there wars? How can God let, you know, young children die in a war? But you have had past lives. So, you know, from, from the yogic perspective, we are living in a, in a cycle of reincarnation. The, the journey for humanity is to realize themselves. And as they realize themselves, then they come into the journey of enlightenment. And once they become enlightened, then they don't need to be reborn again. They re are released from the journey of reincarnation, which is also what the Buddhists believe, you know. So if that's the case, <clears throat> sorry, I'm getting, uh, going off on a bit of a tangent there from the Kali Yuga, but... Um, so, so if you've got that journey of, re, of, of many lifetimes, then you have to realize that, you know, you've been many different things in different lifetimes and you have karma attached to that, you know, and people tend to have a belief that, you know, you want positive karma, but actually it's not it's about neutral karma, you know, because you have to, you have to receive all the karma you accrue, whether it's good or bad, which means you still have to be reborn to receive it. So if you have a limited way of thinking, you might think, well, that's great. I'll have lots of good karma and I'll be reborn living the good karma. But the good karma doesn't mean that you're going to carry on getting good karma. So say, for example, you were 
um, reborn and you actually had no, you had good karma with money and with fame and fortune and you became very famous, but then you couldn't handle that fame and fortune and you started to take drugs or get very drunk or live a life that's a bit debauched. You'd start to accumulate negative karma from that positive karma. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So there's no guarantee that good karma is going to be ongoing. That makes sense because it's about the evolution of our mind and our awareness. Yes. Anyway, so, so what is neutral karma? I mean, you, you'll come to that. You'll come to yeah, that. Yeah, I'll come to that. So I'm good. we're going off on lots of different tangents. I'm trying to hold. That's good. So, so the idea behind this is that, you know, so if somebody is born into a war zone, there is something that, has got, that they've gone through in past lives, that they're li- having to live that karma out, you know, and there is an individual karma, there is a cultural karma, and then there is the karma of humanity. Yeah. So you're so you have your own unique karma, but you're part of humanity and humanity has its karma generationally by culture and by the the time, you know, so like, you know, now we're living in a very global world. So we're even more connected by each other's karma because we're actually having an impact in a very clear way globally now, whereas beforehand you know, centuries back, you were maybe having influence on your local area and maybe the, the few the few um, nations around you. Yeah. Whereas now, because of technology, we have an impact even more far reaching and we don't realize what that kind of means on a karmic scale. So give, I'll give an example, you know, maybe. Um, so I, I think I've shared with you in my past, I've, I have experienced a rape in, in my past and um, I was doing a lot of work on my heart chakra, a lot of meditation and um, yoga on my heart chakra, which started to open up. And I started to get dreams um, and um, uh, and I had one night I had a very, very strong uh, vision and dream through um, the practice that I was doing that was showing me that through my many lives, I had been both a man and a woman. And I had been born as a soldier. I'd been born in many different forms. And of course, in those times, I probably would have been raping and pillaging as a soldier. Yeah. Yeah. So there is some karma there that I have to take back. So it doesn't sound politically correct to say my karma, you know, um, of, of being raped was because of past lives. But that, but from if you're looking at it from this higher perspective, yeah, this higher mm-hmm. consciousness, then you're understanding that your past lives have an influence. Yeah. And I was seeing this. I was seeing I'd been a woman in many lifetimes. I've been a man in many lifetimes. And I could see that, you know, I was it was a um it was like a, it was a, an insight I was being given that all of us have gone through this because we've gone through the journey of humanity in the last two or three thousand, four or five thousand years, all of us will have been at some point in a role of doing something negative or bad in our journey, in our process, and at some point we have to return that, we have to, you know, feed that karma back, you know, or receive that karma back. So these perspectives, I've forgotten why I went on to the karmic journey now from the the Kali Yuga, but... uh, It's okay, it's okay, we can carry on. Carry on. (laughs) <laughs> the idea behind karma is you you have to you have to receive that so, uh, until you're being reborn. So in Kali Yuga, um, at this moment in time, it's like we we've kind of like a bit asleep. We've we've become less and less spiritually aware. We've the more advanced we've become through technology, and we think that we've become advanced as a civilization through technology, and the more that we've stepped away from our spiritual roots, yeah. The, the the we have less connection with nature we have less connection with the divine we're more lost we're more confused 
Money is ruling the world. Corporations are ruling the world, not spirituality. There was a reason why kings were meant to be the representative of God on earth because they were always meant to have spiritual guidance or a spiritual um, you know, guide next to them you know, to rule a kingdom because the spiritual well-being of a kingdom is really important. So take the Buddhists, for example, that's absolutely, you know, their their ruler was the, the spiritual leader, you know, of the country. Um, and now we've gone completely away from that. We don't even have kings or queens because it went to, you know, tyranny. <laughs> and now we have governments that were originally set up to look after us, but now it seems that they're all being, you know, uh, uh, ruled by the um, by the large corporations and what they want, you know, to get, you know, and um, across and board. also individual parties, their own agendas, you know, yes. to stay in power. It yeah. just never seems to end. Absolutely, and it's you know, and and it doesn't really matter which side is in power because the corporations support both sides and fund both sides to yeah. ensure that they get the the uh, the 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 licenses, permits, whatever you know, support mm-hmm. to run how they want to run. So everything's become very, very materialistic, you know. And I mean, I I had the, the the shocking in the last year and a half. I've had five of my beautiful um, friends come to me and say that their daughters or their children have contemplated or tried to commit suicide in their late teens, early twenties. Now, going back ten years ago, I would never have heard that you know, from you know, from a whole group of people. Maybe one person in my social group might have experienced that but not to this level. And that goes to show, I mean, okay, after COVID and everything, people are, you know, went through a lot. It was a lot that affected the mind in a very, very deep way. And I think affected younger people more than anything because they're in a state where they want to go out in the world and be of the world and connect with the world. And then they can't, you know, and um, we all suffered. I mean, even I am, you know, I do my spiritual practice and I'm a, you know, an educator in behavior and and uh, you know, in, in coaching and and uh, and psychotherapy, but even for me, it affected me. You know, I remember when I first came out. The first three months, I had verbal diarrhea when I was talking to people, and I couldn't formulate sentences properly. And I was really aware. It was like my cognitive basis had become um, uh, imbalanced. Do you like? <laughs> so yeah. there's, there's there's a lot going on there, and that's because I think we've moved away. You know, people don't have anything to believe in. They don't have they're not brought back into believing in themselves in the spiritual way of the inner world, the richness of the inner world. They're being made to look at the outside world. I mean, you just have to look at social media and it's all, you know, about how good looking you are. Are you an, inf- do you see an ugly influencer? Very rarely. Do you, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, well, it's a projection, isn't it? It's Everyone looks like they're having a wonderful life when they can be in total turmoil behind the scenes yeah. You know, going through all sorts of things behind the scenes. So it's a very artificial world of success that we're being projected into, which is creating a, you know, a huge level of of insecurity and lostness in people. So, Kali Yuga, you know, the, I would agree that we are in Kali Yuga, that we're in this uh, in this least spiritual stage. And normally, what has to happen is that it has to hit a crisis point, you know, a tipping point. Let's go to the business terms of uh, of uh, Michael Gerber, the the tipping point. So you have to reach this kind of tipping point um, uh, globally, where you know things are just you know not right anymore, and there will be some kind of revolt, revolution. 
catastrophe, whatever. In the past, it's been a catastrophe. So there have been the great floods, whether you believe in Noah and the Ark or not. Um, it was certainly proven that the whole Byzantine area um, was flooded in the very big and deep flooding, you know, at one point, which took out um, huge levels of civilization. So, you know, there are catastrophes and disasters that can come in and change the, you know, the, 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 the face of the planet. Mother Earth goes through her changes anyway, very naturally. So she will go into global warming. She'll go into um, ice age, whatever. That's her process. She does that anyway, whether we pollute her or not. I'm not saying that we should pollute her. I, I greatly believe that we'd be honoring nature and the planet much more greatly. But, um, but she does have her own natural way of handling people, you know, humanity or whatever. It's not the karma. Are also linked. Her karma, yes. our karma. It's also yes. part of the process. Ab ab absolutely, it's linked. It's totally linked in, exactly. And you know, and I, you know, so you know, we're meant to be guardians. You know, we're meant to be guardians. Human beings have been given this gift of higher consciousness of being able to realize their divine nature, and we're moving away from that. You know, so we're you know, it's we are nature, right? We're nature as well, but we've forgotten yeah. that. Yes, exactly. And so we're not, you know, we're not really honoring that um, at all. There's a kind of, uh, you know, we, we're, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, we're just, we're just not really honoring that. We're not really looking after the planet in the way that we should be. And we're not looking after each other in the way that we should be. And we're not looking after ourselves on, on the whole in the way that we should be. You know, if I look mm -hmm. at where I am now, um, when I first moved to Edinburgh, I used to know everybody in my tenement block in my, you know, these, we have these big old apartment buildings with maybe, you know, 10, 15 flats in a, in a, in a big old building. And I used to know everybody and I'd know the old lady downstairs and I'd bake her a cake and, you know, people would come and look after my cat and I might, you know, and we'd, we'd have, you know, ha you know, building parties in the sense of you know somebody's birthday everyone would be invited or whatever and you knew everyone and you were a community and you looked out for each other now in the, in the block I'm in I barely know anybody here and everyone keeps to themselves and you can't get anyone to help to fix things or get things done you know and, and we're becoming more and more isolated and then you know families are struggling to cope because people have moved away from their homes I grew up in a village uh, you know, in the countryside when I was younger, before we had all of this, this social media and, and, mo and mobile phones even, let alone <laughs> let alone computers. So, um, yeah, and, and it was a community. Everyone looked out for each other. Everyone took care of each other. Everyone knew each other in the whole village, you know, you, you and everyone got together at group gatherings. And, um, yeah, and, and you just don't really have that now. When you go back to most villages, they don't, you know, again, even in the villages, people don't know each other. They don't connect in the same way. Um, they don't look out for each other in the same way. And and then people are moving away for jobs. They're traveling away from their home environments. They haven't got the same support from family um, to help look after the, the youngsters, you know, the babies that are coming through. And so then, then young children are not having the same care and attention that they maybe would have if they were closer to home with their, with a larger family around. And that has a huge impact. That has a huge impact. I mean, gosh, we can go into a whole other journey of childhood trauma. I, mean, not... I, I can really see why it is the least spiritual time. Yeah. I can. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> so so just it's just it's, it's like being aware so you start how to how do you change that you start with yourself and you start with your own journey and you know you you start to explore yourself spiritually and um, hopefully you act as a resonator and um, impact others to do the same 
Yeah. Um, and this concept of neutral karma then, you know, if, if all of this stuff, like this this time, it really feels like a karmic dump of some sort. You know, we're all <laughs> going through a cleanse of some sort, purifying and getting to terms with the fact that life doesn't work logically. So what is this neutral karma then? How do we know we're accumulating neutral karma or is it neutralizing karma? Mm, it's trying not to, it's trying to reduce the level of karma that you, you'll always bring in karma. It's very difficult not to because even your thoughts, your thoughts and your emotions create karma. So as most of us have not so good control over our thoughts and our emotions, we're still going to always be developing karma. Even if you're a yogi and you head off into a cave, you can still have negative thoughts coming in or positive thoughts coming in. So even your thoughts will create some form of karma. But um, uh, how the, the tantrics looked at it and, and some yogis looked at it as well, if you're going to be in the world and of the world, then you need to learn how to minimize karma. And, you know, there are a number of ways of doing that. Um, but, you know, very simply, one of them is to learn karma yoga, um, mm-hmm. which teaches you about um, consecrating, um, which is, uh, I can't go into what the, the detail of that because that's a, a, a lesson and an empowerment that you receive within karma yoga, which we teach in our yoga level one tantra yoga but you basically learn how to consecrate which is basically you know trying to offer the outcome um, of uh, what you are doing to the divine to the universe you know so in other words what it's trying to say to you is to develop a form of detachment so detachment doesn't mean being cold and isolated but going into whatever you're doing and almost surrendering the outcome to the divine so you do what you do as well as you can. It doesn't mean you cop out. <laughs> doesn't mean you just say, all right, there was no point in you. I'm just handing the whole of life over to the divine. You do, you take action, you know. So like um, as uh, as um, Krishna said in the Bhagavad Gavita to um, Arjuna, you know, there's an action, righteous action is better than no action at all. So you're encouraged, you know, even by the great teachers like Krishna to take action but to take action where you surrender the outcome to the divine. So it could be that you're putting a bid in for a house, you know, that you would really like to have, yeah? But you put the bid in, you do the best you can to put the right bid in, you know, you do your research or whatever, but the outcome of whether you get the house or not is in God's hands. You, you're like, if, it's, if it happens, it's meant to be. If, it's, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. You see what I mean? And that's fine. It's, it's what's meant to be. It's a bit like... You know, how how many times in our lives have you fancied somebody and had a huge crush on them? They've not been interested in you and you haven't been able to get, get them and you've had sleepless nights over it. But then somebody else has come along that's been actually much more suited to you and you have a beautiful relationship with them, which you wouldn't have had if you'd been with that other person. You know, it's a bit like, but we we give ourselves, you know, loads of pain and suffering over, oh, you know, woe is me and this is the person I should be with or whatever. So the yogic way would be to turn around and do whatever you needed to do to say to that person, listen, I'm interested in you, I find you attractive, whatever you're wanting to do, and take the action to do that. But if that person rejects you, that's absolutely fine. You're not attached to the outcome. Yeah. And that lack of attachment is basically where we're learning to manage our ego. Yeah. Because it's the ego that wants the outcome, you know, to get upset if something doesn't go the way you want it or to be, you know, um, to be really desiring so strongly that if it doesn't work out the way you want it, uh, or you do get what you want, but you're really attached to it. 
you know, and you can't let go of it. So say you really wanted that, you know, beautiful dress from, I don't know, Chanel or something like that. And you manage to get the dress from Chanel and you're like, oh, amazing, amazing, amazing. But then it gets ripped and you're devastated. Yeah, so you've had an attachment to it. So it's all ego, and it's ego that causes our suffering. So the journey of karma yoga is actually learning this very, very essential pathway of, of not becoming attached to the outcome of things, but always taking the action to your best ability that you can to make something happen, but not mm-hmm. to, you know, be so... Um, you know, to be so um, driven by it that you, you know, you push through when you should stop, <laughs> you know, or you don't yeah. take action because you think it won't work. So you take the best action you can, but you're 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 detached from how the outcome comes. You say, okay, I surrender to what the outcome is to the divine. God's will. That's so interesting. I mean, I, I I can totally relate to how it is that when you get attached to the outcome, suddenly you become heavy. Mm-hmm. You know. It, feels heavy just the very idea of that when when you expect something to be a certain way and then it goes the other way and then you know the whole search begins like well wait a minute it's supposed to be like this so then it just becomes heavy and and it's and also the process of just keeping yourself open to 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 the outcome it feels light but there's a lot of past stuff that gets in the way of that you know mm-hmm. um it's it's so so interesting i get it now thank you so much yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that's one of one of our biggest things as human beings is um, transference and projection. You know, transference and projection from our past experiences that we put on to our um, new experiences as well. You know, so that even that's creating an expectation of outcome. You know, so you're absolutely right. Yeah, powerful stuff. And is there any preparation that someone needs to do on their body before they begin like a a tantric practice? I mean, we spoke about consecration. Um, I'm not sure if that is a tantric practice per se. I guess it is. Is there any preparation that someone needs to do to their body before they even start on level one? Um, No, no, no. If you're starting the yoga level one, you're taught all the basic stuff that you need to do in that process, um, that journey. The the tantric level one yoga that we teach is nearly uh, uh, an eight month, nine month uh, course. uh, that, we, that we teach what we have a teaching once a week and um, we do it online so we do it once a week but um and then that's eight months and you kind of go through all the basic stuff for doing that so you you have um some basic principles that you learn so you learn about the yamas and the niyamas which are basically the um, moral guidelines to to um how yogis believe that you should live life and i say that it's not like it's not like the 10 commandments of you know thou shalt not sin if you do this you'll go to hell you know that's it thunder and boltning kind of thing the the yogi mm-hmm. where you're a human being and you're on your you have free will you can choose your journey in life just being aware of karma <laughs> so uh, but it's your choice you know so they're saying you know our experience is that, you know, if you do, if you live life this way, it's going to cause you pain and suffering. But if you learn, try to learn to live life this way with these guidelines, then, you know, you're going to, life is going to be much more harmonious for you, you know. So the yamas and the yamas are very, like, how you should behave with other people and what you should do for yourself. So very simple things like nonviolence, you know, truthfulness, which sounds straightforward, but, you know, they they take it much deeper than that. So if you look at nonviolence, it's like, how many negative sabotaging thoughts do you have? That's actually a form of violence to yourself. So you're not practicing yeah. on violence, you know. Okay. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. So it takes it a bit deeper than not just slapping somebody <laughs> or being verbally aggressive to somebody. It takes it deeper than that. What are your own thoughts? How are you sabotaging yourself? How do you sabotage your relationships with people by, by maybe being difficult or, or, um, or um, unaware or um, having patterns that are playing out? So then you have this awareness of that and then you can look at those patterns and start to change them. So that, that's just a way. Truthfulness is another thing because I hear this all the time when I was uh, doing uh, working with larger organizations and you're doing the values for the organization, you know, their compass of their values. And everyone goes, honesty and truthfulness. And then it's like, you know, you challenge them to like, how honest are you really? Do you always tell the truth? Do you let little white lies come in? Where are you not honest with yourself? And here's, a, here's another beautiful one for that because how many times do we end up going into a relationship because we're all um, loved up with the furnomes of the sexuality and the connection and the attraction. And we're ignoring all of the red flags <laughs> around that particular person. <laughs> and then we get into yeah. a relationship and we wonder why it's not working and it's like whatever, whatever. But we chose to ignore red flags that we can see, you know. So we, are we being truthful with ourselves in that moment? You know, oh, we- oh my goodness, Mel. the number of women and men, women particularly that I know that have already seen themselves in the marriage dress at the altar as soon as they get excited about someone is is countless you know regardless of how many heartbreaks some people go through it's yeah. scary because they're just focused on that outcome yeah exactly exactly I mean I'm you know I, I remember in my um in my late 30s early 40s the amount of girlfriends that were willing just to get married to someone to have children you know so it's like okay it's like well are you really being truthful with yourself what's all that about are you trying to fulfill expectation from somebody are you really going to be happy if you do that you know to be to be in an unloving marriage is a very very horrendous thing to be in you know and then you add a child into the equation that's going to cause more intensity even loving marriages can get destroyed by the intensity of children so these are just kind of examples but you know where is truthfulness in that so so um, we're going uh, quite deep into you know into that area, but that's the yamas and the yamas. So that's um, one aspect, and then you have the asanas as well. So the asanas. So most people think yoga is the asanas. <laughs> so, uh, but yoga is oh, yoga, no. yoga is far from that. So yoga means union. It means the how the pathway to union with yourself and union. Um, with the oneness of the universe so union with yourself and oneness with the universe so that's what yoga means and yoga is made up of many many different practices from meditation to concentration techniques to breathing techniques pranayamas the asanas um you know uh so many different techniques and then there's lots of different yogas within that you know when we go karma yoga laya yoga nada yoga Yana yoga, Raja yoga. I mean, there's, you know, it's uh, the, the back wow. to yoga, you know. There's a whole load of yogas even in that. So there's always this interesting question in Tantra, you know, did Tantra come first and birth the different branches of yoga or did the tantrics evolve after seeing uh, as yogis that, you know, you can incorporate these different branches and, 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 and utilize them with the knowledge and understanding of energy. So no one really knows what came first, chicken or egg, in that in that kind of journey but um but yes yeah, so uh so the uh um i've forgotten now where we were going with that one sorry i've done it again <laughs> oh, 
it all started off with me asking the question. Oh, yes, the asanas, the asanas. I'm back there with the asanas. That's yeah. it. So the asanas are like your um, – the asanas in tantra yoga is about – we start off with hatha yoga, which is the yoga of polarity. Um, and that's uh, – so hatha means ha, the sun, and tha, the, the moon. And um, it's the polarity of the masculine feminine principle, you know, the solar – and the the lunar the yang and the yin you know these are the, the polar opposites and we have this within our being energetic otherwise energy wouldn't flow you know you have to have a positive and negative pole for any energy to flow whether it's magnetic energy electrical energy gravity whatever you have to have these two poles and we have that within us and obviously there's many different forms of energy flowing through our being but so we are like an electric circuit that you can plug in and so the the hatha yoga that you learn at the beginning is um, is the is mainly the asanas, and they are like the 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 um, how do you say the, the support wheels that you put on a bicycle when you learn to ride the bicycle. So to learn how to to manage your energy and control your energy and become a master of your energy, the asanas are the way that you learn to do that. Yeah, so that's your your practice, and the more advanced you become, the less you need to do that the the asanas. But the, to start with, so in modern times you tend to think of yoga as the asanas, and therefore as flex, flexibility and gymnastics that brings some peace of mind because your mind yeah. is focused on you know these movements. Um, but in actual tantric um, uh, 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 hatha yoga, what you're doing is you're focusing on energy, so you're energizing the chakras. Um, and purifying the chakras and you're bring you're developing flows of energy within your body you're opening up all the energy channels so that the energy can flow more clearly through your body and in modern times we're very blocked energetically most people don't even believe that they are energetic beings and have auras let alone <laughs> let alone be connected to their physical body sometimes so it's um, so that's what tantra yoga is. It's like the, the whole yoga is focused on um, developing the power of your mind to concentrate on flows of energy and the building up of energies and purifying the body. So that's you learn that, and you also learn how to purify the body through various techniques to to cleanse. You have you know five energetic fields uh, of bodies going from your physical body to your to your karmic body and you learn how to cleanse those um, through various different practices um, you learn about diets um, and how that impacts your uh, your energy as well um, you learn um, the um, uh, concentration techniques you learn the breathing techniques the, the the pranayamas are amazing I mean I think I have something like um 45 different pranayamas under my belt to use in different ways in different circumstances wow. it's very very powerful um 20 yeah. minutes 20 minutes of pranayama is equivalent to two hours of of uh, practicing asanas for developing your energy or healing the body or whatever you're wanting to focus on and then I listening to that part is so important mm. breaths powerful yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's different to the breath work that's out there now because the breath, most of the breath work that is being done as breath work is for calming down the vagus system to develop and put back into action the parasympathetic nervous system um, because most of us are in continual stress syndrome and kicking off in our sympathetic um, system. So it's very important and very much needed to de-stress us. Um, whereas if you practice pranayama and you have uh, any energy that's going on, it will amplify it um, because it's about powering up energy. So it's slightly different to breath work. 
Um, so the pra with pranayama, you're working with the prana in your body, the energy in your body, your vital life force energy, and you're mm -hmm. building that up in different ways for different purposes. So if you have got anger in you at the time that you're doing pranayama, it would amplify the anger. So you would want to do your yoga practice beforehand to bring yourself into balance so that you don't have that before you did your pr various pranayamas. Whereas breathing techniques that are done in breath work is about calming down, um, activating the parasympathetic nervous system and calming down the sympathetic nervous system and allowing the body to come into a state of relaxation using the breath. Yeah. So it's, they're, 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 they're slightly different. Well, more than slightly different. So, but I, th I still think yeah, breathing is very powerful and very important for the breath work. <laughs> Intentions are different. So, when I did my, my my yoga teacher training, we learned seven different pranayams, um, and we were encouraged to make sure that they were in part part of the practice. Uh, the 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 very beginning, you know, the uh, the the humming bee, like all of these things are so important. But when I go to a yoga class now in inverted commas it really is all about the asana and it's the conditioning is the conditioning I, I mean I, I feel like India needed LA to revolutionize yoga <laughs> in the whole world you know it's like the pizza effect that's happened yeah. with yoga it had to it had to go to LA and then it had to explode but it it has caused a lot of confusion because yeah. LA is the center of marketing as well so so it's it's interesting. It helped with spreading the word, but now it's about bringing it back to the ground. So it's amazing. What what you're doing is amazing. Thank you, Mel. Yeah, but there's a, there are a lot of people. I mean, like things like Yin Yoga and Ashtanga Yoga. Yoga are not real yogas. They were not um, yogas that were um, coming from in, enlightenment. They were yogas that were developed by people for developing flexibility, you know, and bringing in peace and quiet. And Ashtanga Yoga was only created because his cousin. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about the modern Ashtanga flow yoga, not uh, Ashtanga yoga in the form of uh, Pant uh, uh, Patanjali's uh, uh, eight um, aspects of yoga, or eight, uh, eight arms of yoga that I've just you been doing. Vinyasa yoga. Do you mean vinyasa flows then? Vin, vin, yeah, vin flow, vin, the, yeah, the yin yeah. flow yoga and things. Uh -huh. Yeah, they're, they're modern, they're modern versions. You know, they 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 are focused purely on flexibility, and they then they've added then people have added in a bit of um, things that they've learnt um, of pranayamas maybe and meditations and stuff to to bring that in. But right. the, the true the true authentic um, yogic practice is really the um, hatha yoga. You know, so yeah. So of, of the of the asanas and things, yeah, but yes, yeah, so uh, so it's uh, it's very it's very interesting. Then you you know you have uh, yeah, and then you you go into concentration techniques to really develop the concentration of the mind. And most people's minds are jumping all over the place. I know mine's got worse. <laughs> no jokes about the aging process. Um, <laughs> mine's got worse because because of social media and being on the computers all the time. You know mm. it does make it brings this fatter energy this windy energy into the mind and makes us much more distracted and it reduces our ability to concentrate you know this this flipping you know and, and thumb scrolling on social media so you know we would we would encourage from a yoga perspective that you try to really minimize your time on social media and utilize it as a tool um but be in charge of it rather than it in charge of you um, because of the because of the really negative effects it has on concentration of the mind, when I was teaching when I started teaching behavioral uh, uh, leadership and um, 
team building stuff going back nearly 20 years ago i used to turn around and say to people concentration you know we're, we're lucky you know we we have the concentration that is just over a goldfish's which is eight seconds now we are less than the goldfish yeah now mm-hmm. Actually, officially, we have less attention span than a goldfish, which is shocking. And there's no power in that. No, no power in that. Your power is in your your control of your mind. That's what gives you power. You know, I'm not talking about power. You know, your 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 strength, your presence, um, your your um, sense of being, your confidence. Um, you know your your ability to be intimate. All these things. It's it's about being present. You know, we talk about wanting to be to have beautiful partners and be intimate with them. It's about being present. You know, how many times yeah. you're watching couples sitting eating their dinner, watching the TV, or they're talking to each other, but they're still you know on the phone, connect, you know, typing something out. So it's like where and how can you be present for each other? You know, it's, um, you know, whether it's friendships as well, you know, you're talking on the phone, you're still doing something rather than being present for that person, for the conversation that you're having. Um, so, and that takes concentration. Yeah. So it's thing, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, yeah, sorry, come. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really excited to ask my, my next question, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost want to get into it now, but let's, let's, let's con- con- conclude this one. Oh, no, I was just going to say the final thing is, um, you know, obviously the uh, the meditations, you know, and the meditations are just focused. So when you when you start to meditate tantrically, you are expanding the consciousness of the mind. So you mm-hmm. are you're raising this. So you kind of got a vertical plane you can go in and a horizontal plane you can go in, if that makes sense. So mindfulness yeah. allows you to kind of almost expand in a, in a horizontal plane to come back into being present and to have awareness of everything around you. But the tantric lead to go higher in your spiritual nature, to see things from these higher perspectives, to understand um, the universal laws from a higher perspective that make sense, that don't ma- na- necessarily match human morality but have a there is a divine morality to it that comes from expanding in a vertical level and that's changing your consciousness and that's going through the levels of um of frequency of the chakras and things as well so you basically learn meditation techniques that take you through that awaken kundalini energy eventually and you know bring you to um to these higher states so that's uh, that's just to finish off what the, the what you would learn <laughs> in tantra and then that's obviously the whole thing of stuff yes yes yeah. yeah healing and sexuality is obviously in there as well but these are the techniques that you learn to strengthen all of that and develop all of that so you can direct energy yeah so so this so that right. you can so like I when I'm doing the tantra massage and I'm teaching people the tantra massage and I do like maybe demonstrations and I'm working with somebody that's already done the work on themselves so they're energetically sensitive and I can then just look at them with my mind, with my third eye, and I can move the energy in their body through my third eye, connecting into their astral plane and moving the energy all through my breath. I don't actually have to lay hands on them at all or touch them at all. You know, you can see that on some of the videos that are on the website where I'm, I'm not even, you know, the person's dancing beneath me and I'm not touching them physically. You know, that's the witness to that as well. When we learned the Tantra massage, you know, when you came in to help people out, there were things happening that, you know, hands weren't moving, things weren't happening, but things were happening. So, (laughs) 
yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I absolutely can see that. Which actually leads me on to my next question. Perfect. Sort of a question I have. This is the last question we have time for today. Is you know when some women have the tantric massage, yes. they begin to go into certain shapes from the energy that starts to uh, rise up from their kundalini, from from their root chakra, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, what's actually happening to them there? Okay, I could go. I could come from the high metaphysical state, or I can come from a simpler journey. So let me let me just take a moment to think. Um, okay, so um, so we have, uh, as I talked about, we have these energetic bodies which you learn about when you um, when you start on the tantric journey, mm-hmm. and um, so we have the physical body, then we kind of have the etheric body. Um, or the pranic body when we're talking about this pranic energy the vital life force energy and then we have what's better known as the astral body or the emotional body mm-hmm. and then the mental body and then there are some bodies beyond that um the karmic and and others but we have uh, like we have seven chakras there are actually seven energetic bodies but the other ones are so uh more out there you you know we wouldn't be able to understand it it'd be like trying to talk beyond quantum physics so um, I wouldn't be able to explain it because I can't see it or perceive it. So, but the the, the five bodies that everyone can relate to are um, the etheric, the, the physical, the etheric, the astral, the mental, and to a certain degree, the causal body, the karmic body. So, when we're working with the massage, the we we the massage that I teach is one of um, uh, based on Ayurvedic body oil massage, where we're working with nadis or energy channels and mama points or acupuncture points. So, so again, um, Chinese medis- medicine was derived from Ayurveda. There was a great, uh, a great Indian master that went across to China, known as and then was known as Lao Tzu in China, that took a, took across the Ayurvedic medicine. But anyway, um, so we're working with these energy channels, the nadis, and these uh, acupuncture points or mama points in the body where energy can get stuck and stagnate as well so we we open the physical body up we start getting the energy moving in the physical body um um, through through the physical massage with oil and then we're also kind of awakening the etheric body through being sensual with that massage as well and kicking the energy into that and then eventually and awaken the energy because these these bodies are all interconnected so to speak they're intelligent they have a dynamic intelligence between them there's almost like a flow of um, osmotic potential between each body <clears throat> and so we then can awaken the astral which is the emotional body and um, also we can kind of move into the, the mental body so when when we get the body energized enough um, and awakened enough so there's a really good flow of energy going through all of the nadis so it's a bit like the nadis kind of almost um, it's similar to your blood system and your nerve system it's going through your your body there's 72 uh, 7,200 nadis in your whole body, you know, so it's, it's a, a similar, very complex system. So that has to wake up. So what normally happens is if you've got somebody who's really unenergetically aware when they first start in a massage, they're dead. They're lying there flat. Nothing's happening. It's like a car mm-hmm. that starts, starter motor's gone. And then as the energy starts to awaken in their body, it's starting to go into these channels that maybe haven't been used or, or very weak you know, have have shriveled, if you like, through lack of energy flowing through them, which is where we start having aches and pains and blockages and issues and disease because these areas are blocked. So you're starting to push the energy in there. So then you start seeing people like jolt. So it's a bit like the starter motor where the car's going. (laughs) 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 So they're kind of of jolting and bouncing a little bit. 
And um, as these energy channels start to wake up, yeah. And then when you get a really good flow of energy going through the body and the, and the body's now actually really receptive to the energy. That's why we do all of the yoga, yeah, the Hatha yoga and the, and yeah. the, the techniques because that helps to purify the body and strengthen it energetically, you know. So if you want to do, be good at the massage, you need to do the, the yoga. But also if you want to be responsive, the more yoga you do, the more you're purifying the body as well. So anyway, so now that this flow starts to happen – and in energy, you know that there are waves. So, like, whenever we look at energy on a screen, it's always depicted in waves, yeah? Yeah? And they have a kind of frequency or shape to them. So what you're seeing when the body starts to lift and curve is the energy wave, the natural biological energy wave moving through the body. I yeah? see. So you're so you're starting to see like a sine wave that flows through the body as the orgasmic energy, because now what's happening is as the energy flows through your body and through your chakras, you become very orgasmic. You go into states of bliss. Yeah. So it's right. uh, a bit different to orgasmic just at the groin area because the energy is flowing upwards and it's going through the heart and it becomes more and more refined. It's a bit like, you know, your root chakra is crude oil. And by the time it gets to your crown chakra at the top of your head, it's like perfume. It's become really refined and really light, but very highly orgasmic in a different way, you know, because you're actually expanding and having awareness and feeling energy, not just in your physical body, but also your etheric, your astral and your mental so it's like you're really expanding and it's, it's a very different orgasmic feeling to just like the kind of hardcore orgasm at the level of you know the physical and etheric um at the level of the vagina or the lingam so to speak wow. so so it's very different so then what happens it goes even further with most women you'll see it goes even further than that and they almost start to dance and you'll see the hands taking the form of mudras. So um, in, in, in yoga, you know that you can meditate with certain hand gestures that um, emphasize uh, energetic effects in the body or the being. And you, start seeing, yeah, and you start seeing women taking on these mudras, but also dancing. Now, um, in, the, in the temples... Um, you know, the, the the female aspect of the universe, which is everything that is manifest, all energy is known as Shakti, the feminine aspect. She's receptive and she's dynamic. And the, the, the mother Shakti of all things is divided into ten uh, deities or goddesses that represent the cosmic forces, the ten different cosmic forces um, that make up the metaphysical structure of the of the manifest universe so they gave the 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 yogis gave these cosmic aspects the personality of a deity so that the human beings could relate to that more easily yeah if you said oh now quantum physics relate to space you know they would have difficulty doing that but if you give a goddess and a personality and of what she represents it's easier for a human being to relate to that personality it's like carl jung and his archetypes yeah yeah yeah. Same thing. Yeah. So so in these, they each of these deities has their own dance and their own mudras. So what you actually start seeing is that um that women in this state, they're so out there now. If you ask the woman if she's consciously aware when she's going through that, she's not. She's going into a state of void consciousness, she's going into these higher states of consciousness. 
And also for men, happens for men, but they don't do the dance. They don't start dancing. <laughs> because it's very specific to women that the dancing happens. Um, and what they're doing is they're tuning in to an aspect of Shakti. And intuitively, they're just starting to do the dance from that aspect of Shakti. Yeah. So it's really, it's very, very interesting. I um, I had a, a very powerful meditation in Thailand with um, um, my tutelage deity, which is Bhuvaneshvari. She's the goddess of space and of the sacred space of the heart. So self-love and uh, the knowledge of the, she's the knowledge of manifestation and duality. So this is her cosmic um, aspect and her personality is about bringing space in and in, in the mat. And I had this very deep four-hour meditation with her where she really, really was showing me about bringing space into my own being physically and then emotionally and then mentally and then cosmically it was very very powerful and then I had a about four weeks later I was in Slovenia and I had a, a tantra massage an energy tantra massage yeah. of one of my students and um and I just started I was dancing I, I went from sitting absolutely still in the meditation with her to doing this incredible dance with the mudras and my body going into all sorts of shapes and forms I have no idea how I managed to form oh. then when I had this tantra massage energetically she just came in again the energy of her the resonance of her came in and I just started to exactly the same sensations the same consciousness the same moves everything and it's incredibly beautiful but you're tapping into a universal consciousness and so it can sound a bit out there for people oh, goddess what does that mean or whatever <laughs> But, but, but it, it is a, it's a universal energy. It's like, you know, one that's very well known is Kali. You know, so she's known as the goddess of destruction in some ways, but she's not. Or, or Mother Kali, the mother. And she's um, she's the first in the, in the circle of ten. She's the first uh, goddess that comes into being. And she's the goddess of time and transformation and evolution and mm -hmm. um, of conquering death which is also the death of the ego. Uh, she's also the goddess of mastering Kundalini and Kundalini Shakti as well. And, and she's often seen, she's black, and she's seen as this very ferocious goddess that comes in because she clears out of the way anything. When you start working with her energy, she clears out of your pathway anything that is not working for you, like a mother. She's just saying that it's no good for you, boom, if it's going. Like, you want that relationship, but that man's not good for you or that, that woman's not good for you? then, you know, it's out, you know, <laughs> that job that you've been holding on to that, you know, you don't really want to be doing, but you haven't had the courage to go out and get the new job, boom, will suddenly disappear. And you have to go out and get the new job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She brings in be uh, brutally, <laughs> quite often, what you need, because you're not having the courage to do it for yourself you know so so but she's but she's all about time and um and this transformation of course if she moves all these things out of the way it's huge transformation that you're going through she pushes you you know into your journey so this is just like a, an aspect of how these can work uh, these goddesses can work you know they're, they're um you know she's she's seen as one of the more you know ferocious goddesses and um, ironically bhuvaneshvari is uh, seen as one of the more um benevolent goddesses but even with her you know she when I started working with her she started to show me that I was probably going to have to separate from my partner that I was probably going to separate from the school I was studying with that I was probably going to um, have to put my business down 
um, and that I may, you know, lose my house. She was like showing me that uh, of letting go, and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm about to come into a huge les- lesson of detachment in a really big way. And I hope it's just. But within two months, I'd left the school. Within two months, within four months, my relationship with my partner and I chose to separate pathways. And you know, within six months, we put the business down together as well because we realised for both of us to heal and move forward. Um, you know, um, we loved each other very dearly, but we both knew we had to go in separate directions. And that also then was realized with the business. So the business went down and was put on hold to be rebirthed now, as I'm just working on it now, um, to be back to being Mel, you know, alchemy of living, um, just, you know, um, uh, with what I'm bringing to people in my form. And um, so it was there. She was showing me this and she created the space. So she didn't do it. It was still brutal because <laughs> there's a lot of things to go through in a change, but she was creating the space for me in my life to move forward to the next part of my journey that I meant to do. And I knew that and accepted that. It didn't make it any easier, um, you know, and I chose to take um, some time out just to be with myself and allow myself to go through that process, um, you know. And that's the other beautiful thing about Tantra. The more awareness you have, the more awareness you know what you need to do for yourself, you know. So it's like, you know, do you keep fighting forward at that moment in time or do you take time out to assess, to heal, to grieve, to allow things to settle and to allow yourself to find the new energy flow that moves forward so you know for some in some situations it might be moving forward um, as a warrioress and another situation it might be being very nurturing and very um, creating space for yourself just to to explore where you are in that moment in time so with her giving me space she created space for me and that's why I was in Thailand for a beautiful three months <laughs> to to enjoy that space and explore that's a clearing in itself I was just going to say that um, people don't realize the meaning of space work occupies space in your life relationship partners occupy space in your life you don't understand what space is Mm -hmm. until you create it you actually have to really create space so it's powerful that you know you 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 had that initiation and um Mm. and I mean that explanation you just gave about those movements because that's what happened to me when I did the 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 tantra massage I remember Mm. those movements I was conscious but not quite conscious at the same time and it was it was an incredible feeling um Mm. I encourage anyone here who's listening to experience it your your yourself because you have no idea the vortexes of energy that are that are existing Mm. And, and what it's capable of and what consciousness it exists right here right now in this moment in your body it's just unbelievable so amazing Mel I mean I started off with one explanation but my goodness there was just <laughs> so much there in your explanations thank you so much oh, it's a pleasure it's a pleasure yeah definitely I mean the cosmic powers is another one of the you know that's another one of the tantric yogas the Mahavidya yogas and um, they're incredibly and beautiful yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah very, very beautiful to explore and very, very powerful. But uh, yes, absolutely. And you know, the final, final thing is when you're really, really energetically in flow and pure, you don't move at all. You go back to being very still because energy is flowing through you. You're just going into expanded consciousness. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for all of that. So what are you working on these days that, you know, people need to know about if they wanted to join you? Yeah. So um, I'm just in the process of uh, putting the courses on now that now that I'm back from my my wee break. So we're we're building up the yoga levels again as well. I mean, for me, the yoga is the backbone and the skeleton of uh, Tantra. 
Um, not it's not for everybody, you know, everyone has their own different journeys to define, but I find it very powerful. If you want to understand energy in the, your being and in the world around you. And if you want to master that, there's no other way of doing that other than through the, the yogic practice. Um, the the Qigong and the the uh, the Asian kind of arts uh, is slightly different because they were focused on being in the world of the world. So it's very right. good for Manapur and being successful, and it does have spirituality to it. But Tantra was designed to take you beyond um, beyond that. So um, so it goes into much deeper metaphysical truths um, in in that sense. Although I'm sure the great masters of, uh, of of China also understood those metaphysical aspects as well, the spiritual leaders. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's that's coming up. So the level two is coming up very shortly. It will be up online in the next two weeks. And the level one will start in September, the beginning of September. If people want to do that with me, it's online. And we do a, a formula of live and recorded. So if people can't make because they have work commitments and that, there's always a recording that they can access. Um, then we are bringing back in the workshops on Tantra Massage and also just working with Energy Astrally. So the Alchemy of Energy and the Alchemy of Touch are those workshops they'll be coming in. Um, I'm developing a program for women, um, uh, which is um, Healing the Sacred Feminine, which is a series of different workshops. They don't have to be done one after the other in uh, chronological order, but they're just different ways of approaching the healing of, um, of of being a woman and what we've been through. And it's not to be, um, it's not me being feminist um, against men. It's just that women have their own journey of healing that's different to men. Men have their journey of healing and women have theirs. And we work with the Mahavidyas in that. We look and understand um, trauma. You know, loads of women go, oh, I've got no trauma. And then they go, but I've got these bad habits and these bad patterns. And I'm like, well, that, that is, you know, that is uh, Trauma. Yeah, it's trauma. It's effects of things, you know, your parents haven't, they don't have to have been bad. You know, my my parents, bless them, sent me to Germany. My mother is German and they sent me to Germany when I was uh, three or four years old for three months with my grandparents um, and to kindergarten out there on my own. And they thought that was a great thing for me to have an opportunity to get to know my grandparents and learn German. (laughs) But for me, at four years old, I felt completely abandoned and rejected by my primary caregivers so I you know I my my trauma was abandonment and rejection and therefore people pleasing that I was having to deal with and putting boundaries up with people and not trying to rescue people and please people so it's a trauma but it's not a deliberate one that's done by your parents and so these things are all there and we all have them in different ways you know it's uh, depends on our experiences you don't have doesn't have to be some form of abuse it can be just something that through the eyes of a child is perceived as you know it could be you were you were you got lost in a shopping mall you know and you know and and that that was very traumatic for you or or any kind of thing like that so um, but it all links into patterns so we look into that and then we look into the the yoga and the energy work we develop uh, the tantra massage for women to give to each other as well um, it's very different to receive a tantra massage from a woman than it for women um, than from a man. From a man, there's much more sexual energy um, because there's this huge polarity, sexual polarity in there. Whereas from a woman, it can be much more tender, uh, much more mothering, much more held, and therefore, you know, a lot of emotional releases can happen in a different way. You know, um, because some women feel very safe and held, and and still a lot of people don't have the right level of touch, even when they're in relationship with people, they don't receive the right level of touch and connection. As you know, you've been on that course yourself. 
Um, yeah. And then uh, you, you've been on the, ma the massage course, not the, the the healing of the sacred feminine. So there's more coming in from that. And, um, you know, I'm bringing some guest people in as well, um, working around, um, you know, the, you know, the healing, the lineage of the, of the feminine in your family, as I see that as a very important part of what we do. Um, and also we have uh, the wonderful Muktananda coming in and he will be doing courses with me online. Um, in laws of manifestation from the tantric perspective how do you manifest from understanding tantric laws um, we're going to do some courses on lucid dreaming and astral projection um, coming in so there's a lot of good stuff um, popping in its way and it'll all start appearing over the next two months and uh, being put in place and then um, some live um, uh, actual retreats where we'll be doing seven or ten day retreats on femininity and on tantra sexuality and on um, on tantra yoga and meditation as well so they'll all be coming forward as well so it's exciting times i just needed to take a rest and reassess <laughs> Create this that's, that's fabulous stuff i mean this is what space creates right space creates mm. things <laughs> so, exactly exactly amazing. i'm i'm very excited for everything yeah. that you're doing mel i'm going to look it up myself um <laughs> so, Oh, and obviously, there's always um, there's always the therapies, the holistic therapies, and, and coaching in relationships and individuals and in, and their journey through that. So anything that people want on a spiritual basis, on a one to one coaching, is available or healing. So it's on your website, right? Alchemy yes. of yeah, alchemyofliving.co.uk. Okay, uh, that will be on the caption of the podcast, everyone. <laughs> so um, great. On that note, thank you so much, Mel. I mean, there there are very very few few teachers that I have on the podcast that ever exceed um, you know an hour, and we're going into the hour and a half zone. <laughs> I just needed to hear all of that, you know. And I, and and as someone who's who's who listens to podcasts in this space, it's just it's such important really really wise stuff that you're not going to get anywhere else so thank you so much mel that was that was power that was wisdom and power and so much to to heal someone just by listening to it appreciate you appreciate your time have a lovely day in scotland and a wonderful weekend thank you so much look forward to the next thank podcast. you thank you samaria i look forward to it as well and to catching up with you soon All thank right. you Take care. Bye. bye, bye.